You are now listening to The Model Health Show with Sean Stevenson. For more, visit themodelhealthshow.com. Welcome to The Model Health Show. This is fitness and nutrition expert Sean Stevenson, and I'm so grateful for you tuning in with me today. Listen, I've said this over and over again, but this is something that I think a lot of people glance past. Um, you know, my story is, is really interesting, you know, coming from a place where uh, being diagnosed at the age of 20 with the so-called incurable spinal condition and told by my physician that, you know, I had the spine of an 80-year-old man when I was just 20 and the struggles that came along with that and seeing my life transform from that place to, of course, a full recovery, but not just that, being able to share my story and to find a way to serve, you know, the, the many, many people over the years in a one-on-one context and now millions at this point through all the other things that I've been a part of is just really remarkable. And if I was to tell you the one thing that has helped to lead me from where I was to the man that I am today, I would say it'd be meditation. You know, food matters a lot and I love food, right? And that being a nutritionist, you know, starting off, that was really my moniker, like, you know, food matters, food is everything, but it, it it's, it's not. It's definitely a gateway for a lot of us, but understanding that there's, it's really the inner game, you know, your inner world and having a connection with that, that can really open things up. But here's the thing, we're not gonna get too into the airy-fairy, you know, I love this statement. This was from Michael Beckwith that said that, you know, sometimes you could be so airy-fairy that you're no earthly good, all right? So we wanna bring some relevancy to this today. And so I wanna share with you guys a couple of studies. So this was published in the journal Brain Research Bulletin And researchers discovered that people trained to meditate over an eight-week period were better able to control specific type of brain waves called alpha rhythms, all right? So literally getting your brain into this alpha state. And so here's the lead author of the study, and this is neuroscientist Christopher Moore, PhD. And he said, quote, these activity patterns are thought to minimize distractions to diminish the likelihood stimuli will grab our attention. Our data indicate that meditation training makes you better at focusing in part by allowing you to better regulate how things that will arise will impact you, all right? Can you use a little bit more attention in your life? Can you use less distraction? You know, today we live at the time of the great distraction. We had the great depression, great famine. Today's the great distraction, all right? We got WMDs, weapons of mass distraction, all right? So this is helping your brain literally to be able to buffer those things and be able to focus on what you want. Also, researchers at Harvard Medical School found that meditation alters the structure of your brain, literally like changes the structure of your brain and thickens regions of your brain associated with attention and sensory processing. You literally can change your brain. You can create a better brain with meditation. How powerful is that? And finally, I'll share one more study with you guys related directly to Um, a health implication. This was research at the Medical College of Georgia in Augusta found that meditation lowered blood pressure and reduced risk of heart disease and stroke. And, uh, you know, there it is in black and white. You know, we've got studies on meditation for lowering autoimmune issues, for uh, reducing your risk of diabetes, you know, just on and on and on. The, The research is really fascinating. But today we're talking about not just the benefits, but how do we get this right? Because the reality is the landscape of meditation can be a little bit complex. And so I brought on the perfect person to help to bring this back to simplicity. And he's got an amazing story. He's an amazing human being and very grateful to have him on. Before we do though, I wanna give a quick shout out to our show sponsor, Organifi, all right? Let me tell you how important greens are. 
If you look at the structure of human blood, you know, the red blood cell, it's really, really fascinating when you look at the structure of chlorophyll, right? The kind of green blood of the plant. It is remarkably similar. And actually, we'll probably, we'll put it up on the screen for those watching the video. And make sure you watch the video so you can see our handsome guests as well. But we'll put up the structure and actually show you the difference. It's very minimal. You know, when you look at our blood versus the plant blood. And it just kind of tells you there's this similarity in nature that this is something that we need. And the structure is pretty much the same, except our, for us, the human blood, red blood cell is built around iron, whereas the chlorophyll is built around magnesium. All right, but the structure is almost exactly the same. It's really, really fascinating. And so here's what we found out through science is that this green lifeblood of the plant actually helps to do a lot of things that our hemoglobin can do, right? So hemoglobin is about 96% of the dry weight of your, of your blood, all right, of your red blood cells. And so this is responsible for transportation of oxygen throughout your system, detoxification of your organs, and also just helping to basically get stuff, nutrients throughout your body. And chlorophyll helps you to do all of those things. This is why you need greens in your life, all right? Now, to be honest, we're probably not getting enough. We need to get that insurance policy but I want you to do this through a real viable source, a concentration of real whole superfoods, organic superfoods that's minimally processed so it actually retains the nutrients that you want in there. One of the big ones is chlorella, right? Chlorella chlorophyll, right? It sounds similar because this is the number one source of chlorophyll of any food, right? I like spinach, all right? Popeye was right. But at the end of the day, chlorella, like let's go get the number one thing. Spirulina is also in Organifi, all right? They are chlorella spirulina, number one source of protein by weight of any food that we have ever discovered, 71% protein by weight. Moringa and on and on and on. This is a truly dense green superfood drink. It's called Organifi Green Juice. I want you to get your hands on this. People love it, all right? Not only does it have all this and wonderful nutrition, but it actually tastes good as well. So head over, check them out. That's O-R-G-A-N-I-F-I.com forward slash model for 20%, all right, 20. You're sitting on 20s, guys, 20% off. And they've got the red juice as well, which is a new product that I absolutely love. And this is something I give to my kids. We throw it in the smoothies, that kind of thing. It's really versatile. And again, it tastes really good. So do yourself a favor, pop over, check it out. Organifi.com forward slash model. And now let's get to the iTunes review of the week. Another five-star review titled Swannies for Life by Donnie B. Hi, Sean. It was love at first listen when I heard your podcast as a guest of Wellness Mama, now my second favorite podcast. I'm 46 and didn't know until I heard your interview that you could do anything about quality of sleep other than sleep more and didn't connect the pill melatonin with something that your body produces. It was, no pun intended, eye-opening. Since then, I have helped my entire family of six and some friends enjoy a good night's sleep. I've become a loyal fan and follower and patron of anything you recommend on your show. Swannies, Organifi, Onnit, etc. If you back it, I will try it. You're the best. Love hearing your voice and soaking up the healthy brain food. Keep them coming. Thank you so much for leaving that review for me over on iTunes. It truly does mean the world to me. And uh, everybody, thank you who's left a review. Uh, just keep them coming. It helps to motivate me and it helps to really let other people know that there's a lot of value to be found in the show. And again, I appreciate you immensely so much, so much. Thank you for taking the time to leave me that review. And on that note, let's get to our special guest and our topic of the day. 
Our guest today is Light Watkins, and he's been practicing and teaching in the meditation space for the past two decades. And he travels the world giving talks on happiness, mindfulness, and meditation, as well as leading trainings and retreats. To date, Watkins has shared his knowledge with thousands of people through his live events, books, and online trainings. And he's a frequent contributor to major wellness brands, and he's the founder of The Shine Movement, a global movement with a mission to inspire. And he's here today to share his wisdom with us, and I'd like to welcome to the show my man, Light Watkins. What's up, man? How you doing today? I'm wonderful. Thanks for having me. So happy to be here in St. Louis. Hey, it's my pleasure, man. Thanks for coming out and hanging out with me. Absolutely. We had a random, like seemingly random intersection yeah. mm-hmm. when we first met. Let's. Can you share a little bit how that happened? Yeah, I, I, uh, I saw you at Bulletproof in Santa Monica Yeah. and uh, recognized you and you were out there, I think, looking for your Uber or something like that. <laughs> yes. <laughs> And then we started talking and, you know, connected like that. And, and then yeah. later on, turned out we had the same, we were working with the same person yeah. when I launched my book that helped you with your book. And yeah. and now here we are. Yeah, yeah. You know what? I, I shared this with you when we talked the other day that I think that you did that. I think you're so powerful, your energy <laughs> that you caused. So I couldn't get my Uber, you know, because I, mm-hmm. I had no idea where I was even at. I was leaving a friend's house. And I just couldn't, like, my phone just wouldn't work. I couldn't get the hookup. Mm-hmm. And so I said, oh, this is bulletproof cafes I hear about out here on the streets. My streets, I mean the internet. Oh, you had never been to the bulletproof no, cafe I had before. No, I didn't even know it was a thing. Really? You know? Yeah, huh. I knew that. I think when I last heard about it that they were working on it. Yeah. You know? And so I, it, what, I wasn't really like, I heard about this in the streets. I didn't really know. But I was like, oh, this is so cool. And so I went in and I met you and you were with a friend. Drew. Drew Purowit, who's working with Mark Hyman. Yeah. Uh, who I big just funct- talked to on yep. Tuesday. Big functional medicine doctor. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So it was just like a really great... Um, was he on the podcast? Yeah, yeah. Oh, I love wonderful. Mark, man. We had a great yeah. time. Yeah. But we're going to have a better time, <laughs> you know, because, uh, man, like your story. Uh, let's let's first let's start there. You know, okay. you shared with me a little bit like, you know, where you come from, yeah. you know. And so let's let's talk about this because when people see you, like you see you out on the street like this. Yeah. It's not a meditation teacher, right? <laughs> right. You know? And so um, breaking that paradigm, but let's talk about your upbringing. Let's, let's get into your superhero origin story. It's funny. I was, you could probably identify with this, but I was at... Um, Deepak Chopra's Sages and Scientists uh, conference yeah. at the, it's like the Peninsula Hotel or someplace like some fancy place in Beverly Hills. And I was in this elevator with this old little white woman who looks up to me and goes, what basketball team do you play mm. with? <laughs> I was you. like, why can't I be at the Sages and Scientists? Exactly. Why can't I be a meditation teacher? <sighs> Stereotypes, but, baby. Yeah. <laughs> So I thought that was funny. I said, I play for the Lakers. <laughs> I, just, I didn't have the energy to get into it. With anyway, yeah, I'm from Alabama, man. I'm from Alabama. I grew up in the South my whole life. And um, which, as everybody knows, is the Bible Belt. There were more snowstorms than meditation teachers, which is to say there were no meditation teachers when I was growing up. <laughs> And uh, never thought in a million years I'd be working in this sort of wellness space. And, you know, life is just so perfect. It led me to a lot of different career paths. I went to college in Washington, D.C., went to Howard University, Mm -hmm. graduated there in 95, started modeling, got into the fashion industry, was in that for about seven years. Would have never guessed, man. Yeah, I know, right? <laughs> Check out the video, guys. <laughs> and um, and that ran its course. And, I, <clears throat> you know, a lot of people hear about that and they go, oh, it must have been so superficial. But I actually loved it. I loved 
the travel aspect. I love meeting new people all the time. Yeah. I love I actually love the the uncertainty of it. There's a lot of there's a lot of uncertainty in that in that uh, field because you don't know if you're going to work that month. Yeah. And so you've done some modeling before, obviously. Yeah. Long story <laughs> and, long ago. <laughs> yeah. So, you know, looking back at it now as an as an entrepreneur, you see that a lot of the the traits that are required to just keep going and moving against the resistance. Yeah. A lot of those, a lot of that foundation was built back in the in the in the fashion era, uh, in fashion days. Even the sense of rejection—you get rejected all the time. Yeah, wow. Yeah, and so you have to develop that. very thick skin because you're you're being rejected over over very superficial things. You know, yeah. so if when you get to a point where you, that doesn't get to you anymore, then you can pretty much just get up and do anything you want, and it doesn't really matter. People keep telling you no, 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 no. So anyway, I graduated myself from that after about seven years and, and came to a point in my life, my late 20s, decided that I needed to do something more meaningful. And I just so happened to be getting into the yoga scene. This is back when, you know, before there were yoga studios everywhere. And, and I, I was really into the spiritual books, the Eckhart Tolle's and the Deepak's and- Where was this at? This, this was, was in New York. New York I was yeah. in New York City, yeah. And um, yeah, and I, I read this Conversations with God book and it really changed my life. Have you read Conversations with God? Is that Neil Donald Walsh? Neil Donald Walsh, yeah. yeah. So it's four volumes and I read all four volumes. Wow, that's a lot. Four times. Oh, in a row, man. like for four months, every month I would just go through each one and it cycles through and yeah, cycle yeah. through and the pages were all tattered up. This is before digital books, before audio books. So you had, yeah. you're just carrying around these books with you. And I took my first meditation class um, when I was living in New York and had a horrible experience, but I was really intrigued at the same time mm. by the practice because all the spiritual books mentioned meditation. Mm -hmm. And, uh, and then eventually I left New York, moved to Los Angeles. A lot of my friends had made the transition. So I remember, you know, um, and I, we've talked about this before, but, uh, you know, it was like 10 degrees in New York and I visited one of my friends in LA and it was 80 degrees. And I was like, oh, this is not, even, <laughs> what is this? Why didn't, how is everybody not coming out to LA? And I moved out and um, started teaching yoga. And then very soon after that, got introduced to, a, a former transcendental meditation teacher who was now out teaching independently. And, uh, and I was, I didn't know anything about transcendental meditation or any other forms of meditation. I pretty much thought all meditation was the same mm -hmm. and that, uh, and that it was, it was challenging, but you had to kind of push through. And that mm -hmm. was the practice was pushing through. And when I, when I studied with my teacher, it, I got to see how effortless meditation could actually be. And, um, and it just changed a lot for me. So I started to apprentice him and shadow him around for the next few years. And then finally an opportunity came about to go to India to learn how to teach meditation under the tutelage of my teacher. And he had been in India for years studying with his Indian teachers. And I did that. It was, it was actually a foregone conclusion that it was going to happen. It was just a matter of when it was going to happen. When was the opportunity going to rise? And then when it came, I dropped everything that I was doing. And at the time I was a very in-demand yoga teacher, dropped all my classes, went to India, stayed away for a few months, trained diligently in becoming a meditation teacher, uh, learning this specific style of meditation, and uh, which was rooted in transcendental meditation. Came back, 
um, started teaching people to meditate. This is now in 2007 from my one bedroom apartment in West Hollywood. Turns out I was pretty good at it. People were having very powerful experiences. And then I just kept teaching people. And the thing with with that form of meditation, TM, and, and what we call it now, Vedic, Vedic meditation, it's an in-person experience. It's not digital. It's not you know streaming video. It's, you have to meet someone in person and, and you make that sort of teacher-student exchange in person. And so it's very powerful working with these people because you also, once you, once you train someone to become, their, uh, to become a meditator, you maintain a relationship as their teacher indefinitely. So there's no expiration date. So you take that relationship very seriously as a teacher because you're going to be locked, you're going to be tied to this person, you know, for the rest of, mm-hmm. for the rest of your life which means that whenever they have a question or they want to validate their experiences, they can reach out to you and, um, and you help them along the way because you've been down the path yeah. and, uh, and you, know, you know the pitfalls, you know the obstacles. And again, I didn't appreciate how valuable that would become 10 years later because you, have a, you accumulate a, a body of empirical evidence for what meditation actually does from people who are actually practicing it in real world ways every single day compared to what you read about in all the meditation studies. So it kind of shaped my perspective on meditation and it allowed me to become a, a much more effective teacher because I could speak to people's real world experiences yeah. um, from having guided people through that and, and track them along the way. So that led to you know me becoming more of a, a writer and expressing those ideas more widely because when you're doing things you know one-on-one and in person, there's only so many places you can be at one time. Mm-hmm. And so eventually you know people want more and more from you and you have to find ways to scale that knowledge. So that culminated in the book Bliss More, which is which is what you have in your hands right now. Yes, man. And I I love this book, especially for folks who who are looking for that on ramp. Mm-hmm. There's so many. It, it really helps to cut through a lot of the um, BS. The, yeah, <laughs> you said it. <laughs> and also, I love that you coordinate, man. Yeah. You got the coordinate. You got the coordinate with the shirt. That. You got the coordinate with the phone case. The socks. Come on, man. I love it. I love <laughs> it so much, man. You know, you're and you're the walking, talking element of yeah. the things that you teach. You know, and one thing I want to do is take a step back. And um, uh, just talk about specifically, you know, like the the town you're from, sure. because there's another great person. That's right. That comes from there. That That's I right. think, you know, you're in a in a in a in a similar vein, helping to serve other people. Yeah. No. I'm, I, so I grew up in Montgomery, Alabama, which, for those of you who are students of history, uh, may remember, this was the cradle of the Confederacy and also the birthplace of the modern civil rights movement, which was headed by a guy you may have heard about before uh, named Dr. Martin Luther King Jr., whose church, Dexter Avenue Baptist Church, was right down the street from where I grew up. Mm, so yeah. very, very prolific place, a lot of history. And interestingly, you know, it shaped a lot of the conversations that you have as a young African-American growing up in the South, um, where a lot of the attention is placed on race and racism. And it's it's, it's interesting that we're now having that conversation on a more of a national and even international uh, scale, which is, you know, it's, it's maybe shocking to some people, but it's something that I've been personally living with my mm-hmm. <laughs> pretty much my whole life. So right. it's kind of fun to see it fun. And, and, and in a way that, you know, it's, 
it's it doesn't have to we don't have to be walking around on eggshells anymore uh, talking about these things right man um you know of course like we talked a little bit about this and how um i i think it's really valuable and important that you know things are kind of festering up and coming to the surface and they're not as hidden but you know for a lot of people it's been their experience their entire lives right. and so for other folks tuning in it's like it's new like i didn't know this was going on you know and uh, i think that it's important to have change agents like yourself right who are here and um, i just want to share this really quickly because i truly believe that part of the 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 overriding solution is to help individuals to experience joy to experience it's very difficult for a joyous compassionate person to kill somebody right it's like it's it there takes a lot more levels to get to that there's place. no such thing as the happy suicide bomber yeah exactly exactly <laughs> you know and just the happy serial killer that's right yeah. man he was just so happy right right he's always got a smile on his yeah, face it's an oxymoron you know? And, um, you know, so again, that's why I think this work is so valuable, but I would love to talk about, well, first of all, because I mentioned the impact that you're making all the, you know, the, the everyday folks out there, you know, mm -hmm. thousands who you've influenced, but let's name drop, man. You have to do some name drop. Who are some of the people that people might recognize that have been in your sphere now? Well, look, I, I have taught a lot of being in LA and teaching in New York, you, you, you definitely cross paths with a lot of people who are celebrated, um, I, and the ones that I'll mention because they've mentioned me publicly are uh, Meghan Markle, who's about to marry into the royal family. Yeah, this is uh, kind of a big deal. <laughs> yeah, we got a chance to work together. Rosario Dawson, she and I got a chance to work together. Um, yeah, and then you know people like that. I've taught Oscar Oscar award winning actors and uh, professional athletes, and but but more more important than that, regular people. You know, I think I think. People who aren't necessarily celebrated yet, you know, we look at those people and think that they have, they've achieved something that is going to increase their quality of life. And that's something that we all strive for. But what's fascinating is that, and you probably can identify with this as well, working with people who have achieved a lot of things, a lot of times they're not that happy. Yeah. And I'm not saying that it's about those people right? that I mentioned, I'm just saying in general, yeah. You know, these people who have so many things are oftentimes the most stressed, the most anxious. A lot of times they're not sleeping at night and that's what drives them to meditation. And that's just the extrapolation of this idea, this, this delusional idea that once I achieve all of these things, once I get my grind on and hustle on and all of that, I'm not gonna sleep, I'm not gonna eat properly because it's so important to work and grind and hustle to get this thing, it doesn't, lead to a greater sense of inner happiness or bliss. And yeah. you see this so many times, and I guess I'm fortunate in that I've gotten a chance to see the people who've achieved the most things, and it doesn't really make that big of a difference. So it allows you to kind of reshape your your perspective, uh, I think, in a, in a healthier way and, and get to the business of what's really important, which is having gratitude and helping people and, you know, and, and and spreading spreading that message as widely as possible because you know one of the things growing up where I grew up and seeing what I've seen in the world you know the people that I work with because my time is so limited I have to charge a certain amount of money and it just it ends up excluding a certain population of people who may want to have those same benefits but they're not able to get into the room with me and so that was really the main driving force behind 
writing Blissmore, um, my book on meditation, is just to get that information into the hands of bus drivers, and to uh, you know people who are flipping burgers, and and to write it in such a way that it can be, it can be accessible to most people without sacrificing the quality of the knowledge. Yeah, man, and I love that, and I totally agree. That's what you've that's what you've done, man. You like you've accomplished that in a very graceful way. Thank you. Um, and this is coming from somebody, you know, some of the things that you're even speaking of is just like, even the story of your teacher, that's the story of my my teacher. Is that right? my mother-in-law, you know, oh, transcendental, wow. uh, uh, transcendentalist meditation learner from like Maharishi, all that uh -huh. good stuff. And then uh -huh. she branched out and was doing her own thing right. and taking the best of what she's learned. And she really spoke to my man brain, you right. know, and just like, this is what this is for. This is what this is going to do. Because I'm, I'm coming into it very apprehensive, just mm -hmm. like, what is that? Like I've seen like on a movie or something, you know, and just giving it a, an opportunity, but also addressing my concerns was really helpful. And you address concerns in a wonderful way. And that's what I want to start with. Um, there's some myths yes. around meditation. And I think you're the great person to talk about. And that's why I actually asked you about the the kind of uh, notoriety of folks that you've worked with, because there are people who are um, teaching and then there's people who are, you know, getting connected with these kind of higher level circumstances. And the only difference a lot of times, like they're doing things in a certain way, you know, same goal, but you're doing it in a certain way. And you're taking a lot of the discomfort and pain and question out of this process. So let's talk about these myths. All right, okay. let's start with number one. Like what is one of the biggest myths around meditation? One of the biggest ones is that all meditation is the same, right? When people say, oh, I meditate right? Mm -hmm. They could be talking about anything. Yeah. And if you ask a hundred people who identify themselves as meditation teachers, how do you meditate? You're going to get a hundred different answers. And some of them will be drastically different. Someone, well, someone may say, well, you meditate lying down and that's how you do it. Mm -hmm. And someone else may say, well, no, you meditate while you're walking through the forest. And someone else might say, you meditate by just taking your shoes off and going and standing on the earth. And that's meditation. Someone else might say, you meditate sitting straight up. Someone else might say, you meditate on a silent retreat. Someone else might say, you meditate with a mantra. You meditate with rosary beads. You meditate with music. You meditate with, you know, whatever. And so because meditation is, is such a, a, a very type of experience, then it creates a lot of confusion when someone earnestly wants to learn how to meditate. And the people, you know, there's no regulatory board for who can call themselves a meditation teacher and who's not qualified to call themselves a meditation teacher. Yeah. Anyone, you could wake up tomorrow and say, you know what, I'm a meditation teacher now. The best. And you can get on Squarespace and create a website and get on Vistaprint and, you know, and not to advertise these people, but you can create websites, you can create a stationary, you can, you can basically, if you know what you're doing, you can make yourself look like you're the king of that thing within about a week. And so, you know, there's a lot of that happening out there. And the market nowadays uh, with meditation has become very saturated because people are seeing it as a market opportunity to, uh, to, to get a, a, population of people who are seeking something to come in and experience whatever they're offering. So you have people who, you know, I've seen gyrotonic meditation, Zumba meditation, dog meditate, you know, what, whatever people were doing for yoga before, now they're tagging meditation with that. 
And, you know, the intention is good. And I don't doubt that they don't feel that their practice is meditation because what most people mean by that is that this thing, if you do it, it can be meditative, Mm -hmm. meaning you won't be thinking about much else while you're doing it. And that's where people say, you know, my sport is my meditation, my cycling, my crocheting. And, uh, and so that's, again, it's a, it's a situation where they're describing a, 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 an experience where you're not so much preoccupied or distracted by things that are happening in the past or future, you're kind of locked into what's happening now. So I would, I would argue that the best type of meditation for the biggest impact would be a seated eyes closed practice. But even within the seated eyes closed practice style of meditation, there are two broad categories. There are your monastic traditions, and then there are your householder traditions. Now, mostly what we think about when we think about meditation tends to lean towards monastic, which is to say all the things we think are required in order to be successful at meditation, right? Let's just list a couple of them. Sitting with the legs crossed, sitting with the back straight, being able to sit in that way for a long stretch of time, being a calm person, being a vegetarian, right? If we were able to have these sort of traits naturally, then one would look at us and assume, oh, you probably would be good at meditation. Whereas me, I, I can't sit with my legs straight. I have a problem sitting with my back, my, my legs crossed. I have a problem sitting with my back straight. I'm not that calm. In fact, I have a little bit of an anger issue when I'm driving. I love meat. You know, I can't stand eating vegetarian food. I'm probably not that good at meditation. So what they're, what they're alluding to is the monastic tradition. But guess mm-hmm. what? You're not off the hook because there are householder mm-hmm. techniques <laughs> where, where you don't have to be vegetarian. You don't have to sit with your legs crossed. You don't have to sit with your back straight. You can actually sit in the same position that you would sit if you were binge watching Friends or some television show on Netflix. And you don't have to try to focus on anything. You don't have to be calm when you're doing it. You can let your mind be very, very chaotic and busy and it's still impactful. So what I've been teaching and and advocating for is the householder approach to meditation Mm -hmm. because it's the one that is best suited for our current modern day lifestyle. Yeah, man, um, there's a lot of great nuggets there. And I think, you know, of course, when people think about meditation, there's this image that you have of uh, that, uh, what is it, monastic? Monastic, yeah. Yeah. And um, you think about a guy with a robe or the Buddha statue, and that's how I'm supposed to look when I meditate. Exactly. And they're like, that's the pinnacle, right? Your objective is kind of different, you know? The lifestyle even associated with that. That's like their purpose. They're trying to reach, you know, samadhi or nirvana or mm-hmm. uh, enlightenment. You know, there's a. There, I, I truly feel this that there are so many people walking around that are already enlightened mm-hmm. and oftentimes don't even know it. Mm-hmm. You know, because of their particular practice. And I think you also reiterated that there are many paths to the goal, and you mentioned that in the book as mm-hmm. well. And what you're looking for is just best practices. That's right. for people, and that's what often gets overlooked, right? Um, Meditation is as much of an art as it is a science. And like any art, ballet, archery, floral arrangement, 
there are best practices. And when you know how to employ the best practices, you end up creating a level of efficiency that you wouldn't have otherwise. And it's not to say it's going to happen overnight, but the more you practice those those mechanics and principles, the more efficient that the, the experience will start to feel. And then that is what leads to success, which I define as a meditation practice that you actually look forward to doing, that you actually yeah. enjoy. Imagine, imagine that, waking yeah. up in the morning <laughs> and you are as excited about meditating as you are about eating breakfast or about cuddling with your partner or about playing with your dog or whatever turns you on in the morning. Imagine having meditation fall into that category. And when, when meditation, when your relationship with meditation becomes that strong, then it becomes a practice that you literally start to do every day. And that's where you're going to get the benefits. You're not going to get the benefits from meditating once or twice a week mm. or doing it for two minutes. You know, you see all these gimmicks, two minute meditation, one minute meditation, 30 second meditation. It's like saying a two minute workout, right? I mean, yeah, you can do jumping jacks or push ups mm -hmm. for two minutes or burpees or whatever. But if you really want to see some big changes in your body, you're going to have to eventually do something a little more substantial than that. And you have to be more consistent and there's going to have to be a system in place. And that's what I'm trying to bring about is a change that conversation around meditation is supposed to feel hard and B help people find their own system so that they can get the most out of the practice. This is so valuable. I didn't know you was going to talk about this, but, and you mentioned this in the book as well, but how meditation in in many ways is sort of like exercise. Absolutely. You know, and it's ex almost exactly like exercise, building this kind of internal strength in a way. And, um, <clears throat> what, what you just mentioned now really just kind of struck a chord with me because, and me being in the fitness industry for, you know, over a decade and a half and working with people in the gym setting as well, strength and conditioning coach, I know that the people who are successful long-term and who make it a part of their lives, they they fall in love with it. There's something that creates a deeper connection, like you're saying with like, you kind of fall in love with the process mm -hmm. or the practice of meditation. Like you look forward to is like, this is yummy. This is a treat. This is something that I really enjoy doing. It gives me so much and I enjoy the process. And so we need to do that for exercise, but also you got to understand too, it's not always love at first sight, No, you know? And sometimes it's just like, there's, you, you have to consciously find a connection, but when you find that connection, it can really change things for you. Also, just like with exercise, you know, if you have never exercised consistently and then you go to the gym with someone who knows what they're doing and they put you through a little program, even if it's like a, just a 20 minute or 30 minute workout, if that person knows what they're doing and they know how to take you through that that program, right? You you do it, you feel good, you sweat and all that. What's going to happen the next day? How are you going to feel? You're going to mm. be sore as hell. Yeah. Right? You're going to barely be able to walk maybe or laugh. And that doesn't mean the exercise didn't work. It means that it did exactly what it was supposed to do. It broke down some muscles, it it sw swept out some dust and it w woke some things up in your body that haven't been touched in a long time, right? The same thing applies with meditation. When we are med when we start off meditating and we've never meditated before, two things are happening. Number one, we're reconditioning the mind and the body, right, towards meditation. But number two, more importantly, we're breaking the old habit, the old habit of not meditating for years and years and maybe even decades. And so 
the soreness of the muscles in the physical exercise is kind of like what happens with meditation with the mind. You have these really crazy, chaotic mental experiences. You have you may have some emotional releases surrounding your meditation practice. That doesn't mean it's not working. That's how people normally interpret this experience. It's not working. And this is the second myth I was going to talk about. This is actually a sign that it is working. Things are yeah. getting shaken up and your mind is now going to start. It needs to go through this phase in order for it to be more conditioned to that settled experience that you ultimately want to have with the practice. So this idea that the mind is the enemy to the meditation is completely mistaken. The mind is not the enemy at all. In fact, the mind is noble. The mind is just going along with the ride. And what's, what's happening is your mind is really the outpicturing of what's going on in the body. When the body is able to achieve the different states of rest and, and, and all the wonderful things that are happening within the practice itself, which we can get into in great detail if you wanted to, but there's a lot of rehabilitation happening inside of the body because the meditation, certain, certain styles of seated meditation can actually rest the nervous system deeper than sleep, minute for minute. And you know all about that and the effects of getting that higher quality of rest in the body. And so it starts to um, cause the body to, to restore balance. And, and that is what can lead to an active mind in the practice. So, so when I hear people say, my mind is too busy in meditation, it's actually not a mental problem. It's a sign of progress. Mm. And yeah. if people knew that and they were able to reframe that experience properly, then you're going to have a lot easier time in the meditation itself and you will end up achieving more of what you want, which is, again, that settled experience. Mm -hmm. So one of the, one of the uh, techniques that I talk about in, in Bliss More is, is what I call the EASY approach, which is an acronym, E-A-S-Y, and it stands for Embrace, Accept, Surrender, and Yield. And what I'm describing is how you want to interact with your mind while you're going through the process of meditating. You want to embrace your thoughts. You want to accept all of your experiences, surrender to, surrender to them. And, and anything you may consider to be distracting, you want to yield to that as though this is actually what's supposed to be happening. Yeah. And that's where you're going to find the, the most restful, settled experiences in the meditation, if that's what you're looking for. Wow, this is very freeing. You know, to even put in these in these terms, I love that perspective. Um, okay, so that's covering the second myth. Yes. What you got? What's next? That's another myth. <laughs> well, you know, just the flip side of that coin is, you know, when we talk about what makes meditation easy, and if you're if you're doing these these if you're if you're treating your mind in this way, then we also have to look at what makes meditation hard. And again, I use hard as another acronym in the book. Hard stands for holding the position. So it's very important not to sit like you would think you should sit when you meditate. If you're mm -hmm. trying to hold a position, if you're sitting with your back straight, what that is going to do is it's going to keep your body active. And if your body is active unnecessarily in meditation, it's going to keep your mind unnecessarily active. Mm -hmm. Now, you already may have an active mind from the body rehabilitating itself, but if you're sitting like a monk or you're sitting you know, with your back completely erect and all of that, and it's not completely comfortable for you, then you're gonna end up adding more content to that experience, which obviously 
that's what that's the biggest complaint people tend to have. So you don't want to have that experience. So yeah. you can reduce that significantly just by sitting with back support. Mm-hmm. So that's very important. A stands for austerity. This idea that it's supposed to be hard and rigid. And yeah. if it doesn't feel rigid and hard, you're not doing it right. There's a popular advocate for meditation who's written books about it, who says this thing that I don't necessarily agree with, um, which is if meditation feels easy, you're either enlightened or you're not doing it right. Mm, that's that's <laughs> terrible. And to me, that just sounds like, oh, that, you know, he's 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 kind of been sold the monastic thing of meditation. Yeah. And, you know, this is really, again, going back to the first thing we talked about, the confusion, most of these meditation books on the market are not written by meditation teachers, right? They're written by monks who may not right, be teaching meditation. Mind, yeah. They're written by doctors. They're written by psychologists, positive thought gurus, um, you know, people who have, and they all have great intentions, philosophers, but they don't get into those nuances of the practice, right? And so in my situation, I've been on the front lines for a decade, meeting people from all walks of life on a weekly basis, and then tracking them over all that time and hearing what they're mainly concerned about and what the problems are and obstacles. And, you know, you end up leaving out a lot if you don't really have that experience. And so one of the things that I wanted to bring to the market was I wanted to help fill in those gaps. Because, you know, it's one thing to just say, oh, you're supposed to just focus on, you know, whatever. But you could be completely misleading someone if that person wants to have a very deep and profound experience. Because it is possible to have samadhi and nirvana and Christ consciousness and bliss and enlightenment. But many of those terms, you know, people mean different things based on their own personal experiences. So a lot of it is semantics. And it ends up elevating the practice to this thing that a lot of people feel like I can't grasp, I can't understand, it's not accessible. It's like me, you know, if I, me, Light Watkins, the meditation teacher, you know, um, uh, reading books on heart surgery and then, and then deciding, okay, I'm going to write a book on heart surgery because, you know, I know some people who had heart surgery and, <laughs> and I've read a lot about it. I can probably do a decent job if I studied enough, but if I, if I have never performed it, then I'm gonna end up leaving out some things that may be crucial, that could make all the difference in the mm-hmm. surgery being successful or not successful. So um, so I think that a lot of what people say, you know, again, it's it's well-intentioned and all of that, but I think that when we when we really understand the mechanics and the principles of the practice, meditation is a very, very accessible thing. It's very real, It's it's something that you don't need to be uh, a hippie or airy fairy in order to enjoy. In fact, I say that it's for the busy people with lots of kids, lots of jobs, because those are the population of people who are who don't have a big margin of error yeah. when it comes to your decision making. You have to make good decisions because if you make a bad decision, it's not just going to affect you. It's going to affect the lives of other people, your employees, your family, everybody, and yeah. so if meditation is going to give you a level of perspective that you wouldn't have otherwise, then it's, 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 it, it, it's, it's going to be detrimental on some, to some, to some extent. Um, if you're not 
enjoying or engaging in this practice on a regular basis? That statement, and thank you for unpacking that, um, sharing with people and putting that, implanting that seed that if this isn't hard, then you're not doing it right or you're already enlightened. It's sort of like uh, diets and, and, and teachers, so-called experts saying, if you're trying to lose weight and you're dieting and you're not hungry all the time, you're doing it wrong. Right. Right. It's very misleading and it's unfortunate because it gives us these stigmas that, you know, hey, this just isn't working for me. This is not for me. And missing out on all of these great benefits this is the reason I want to have you on and talk about this is that, wow, like we actually see all of these clinically proven benefits, but there are things even deeper than that. Right. And even, you know, the thing that we've talked about, you know, the airy fairy, that's a real, like that, that's one thing that it, it matters. You're not a real you man know? if you meditate. It's like, well, <laughs> what, are, what are you talking about? And even, you know, this, this idea, you know, even if I think that the hippie person that might be listening is like, they're already winning. Like you're onto something in yeah. a way, you know? Well, we don't have to convince them. They're already convinced. Exactly. The you know? And so, because there are certain things in my life that, you know, even our story of us meeting yeah. that are pretty unexplainable yeah. that I think that these things lean to, you know, and you starting to understand like, there's an entire universe inside of you. That's you right. Know? And it is the, like, that's the final frontier for real. And um, here's this is quote, I gotta ask you about this that you start off your book with, you know, it's like on the very first opening. And it says, all of humanity's problems stem from man's inability to sit quietly in a room alone. That's right. Right. Why did you put this here at the beginning of the book? <laughs> well, first I want to give credit to the person who, who uh, showed me that quote, Agape Stasinopoulos. Have you met her before? I have not, no. She's Ariana Huffington's sister, and she's written a few books on her own. One, one being Waking Up to the Joy of You. Mm. And uh, very, very profound and beautiful and wonderful person. She she also leads a lot of meditation experiences. But the thing that resonated with me about that quote is, you know, we, we have this kind of idea that that we need stimulation in order to feel productive. We need to be doing something. Again, it's our conditioning. It's how we've been raised in this capitalist society. I don't have any problem with capitalism, but in this society, a part of that is the conditioning that hard work is what leads to success and you know, being active is, is required in order to you know, work hard. If you can't just sit around and call yourself a hard worker. And if you look at any machine or any device, every single thing that we rely upon for productivity gadgets, devices, machines, they need some period of rest. You can't just run them all the time and expect them to perform optimally. Yeah. And the same applies with our beautiful, wonderful nervous systems that we live in. We need to rest these things. And so, um, you know, meditation is not a, a panacea for anything, but it can lay a really strong foundation for just achieving and even subsidizing the lack of rest that people don't normally get when they're sleeping at night. So yeah. one of the first benefits that I see that within people who start practicing meditation is they're able to sleep like babies, even people who've been complete insomniacs for years and years and years. I see this all the time. I would even say, you know, eight out of 10 people, and I haven't read this in any study, I've just, this is my own personal experience from teaching thousands of people, eight out of 10 of the people that I work with, uh, will report after a few days, I'm sleeping so much better, right? And so when we look at why are they sleeping so much better, one of the things that studies say is that, you know, the average person is walking around with a concentrated amount of 
cortisol or some stress chemistry in their bloodstream, right? And so what is the job of stress chemistry? To get you to run away from jaguars, to get you to not jump out of an airplane, to get you mm-hmm. to, to protect you. It's a pre- protective measure, right? But you don't need this protective measure if you're lying in your Tempur-Pedic mattress at you know, one o'clock in the morning and you have to wake up at six o'clock to go to work. You don't need it then. Yeah, life's pretty sweet. That's what, life should be pretty sweet at that point. But if you have it in your body, you're not going to be able to sleep as deeply as the body is designed to sleep. You end up tossing and turning or with some other symptom of sleep deprivation. And, uh, and so your one asset, which is the nighttime rest, the one asset the body had to go in and rehabilitate itself, now it's gotten hacked. It's been compromised, just like you know, when you get malware on your computer, what happens? Things slow down, things get a little bit jittery. And so you wake up in the morning wishing you had slept better, not, not feeling fully rested. And then that causes you to be more susceptible to the smaller little stress that should be overlooked in the next day. And then it just snowballs from there. And then if left unchecked, that stress will start to, to habituate, meaning the body has its own algorithm, just like Google or Facebook have, has, they have algorithms. Where if you go and, you know, you know, sometimes you go and you internet stalk some friend or some ex-girlfriend or something like that on Facebook, you type in the name two or three times. I'm speaking from experience. Yeah, I'm like, and, yeah. <laughs> and, uh, and then even if you're trying to find someone else's name, you type in the first letter, but because you've typed in that other name so many times, mm-hmm. it auto-completes it. And that's yeah. what the body does. If you keep going into the stress reaction enough times, one day the body's going to say, you know what? so much easier just to stay in this mode than it is to come out of it and go back in and come out and go back in. So let's just stay in it. Let's just, let's just treat all situations as though they're stressful situations. And so mm-hmm. it creates this layer of anxiety and depression and pretty much all the imbalances that we report. If you look at the connections and you, you can Google fight or flight symptoms and you'll find websites with hundreds of these symptoms and you're going to see everything on there every single one that you suffer from or that someone you know suffers from from dry mouth to joint pain to diabetes alzheimer's you know um digestive problems and you know so when we talk about things like you know you're not a man if you meditate well if you if you can't get an erection you're not, you know, that's a symptom of stress in the yeah, body, right? Yeah. Does that mean you're a man if you can't get it because you have so much stress because you, you don't sleep at night? Yeah. Whereas a meditation practice supplies the body with rest, which allows you to sleep better, which means your reproduction system can work a lot better. Your body doesn't need reproduction if you're running away from a tiger, which is yeah. what it thinks is happening. If you can't digest your food properly, right, you're not going to the bathroom more than once a week is that what you really want? Is that being what being a man is about, right? The body doesn't need digestion if it's running away from a bear and that's mm-hmm. what it thinks is happening. So if meditation supplies the body with rest and reminds the nervous system that there is no bear attack, all of a sudden, guess what? Your, your, your digestive system is now back online. Yeah. So all these little sh- sh- long-term uh, survival functions get shut down when we're when the body thinks it's under attack and they come back online when the body knows that it's, there's no danger. And that's yeah. what meditation does. It brings you back to yourself. It's not some you know, cloud experience where you're floating around. It's just you being a better version of you. Mm. 
Man, you know, this is, I think this is bringing to light, light. You see that what I did there? <laughs> so this is really bringing to light um, how meditation actually shows up for better sleep. Mm -hmm. And you mentioned it, that there are certain layers or certain aspects of meditation that are actually more effective, you know, for regenerating your body. And this mm -hmm. is really being able to really even consciously turn off that sympathetic fight or flight nervous system and turn on the parasympathetic rest, quote, rest and digest nervous system. And mm -hmm. it was American Academy of Sleep Medicine uh, utilized, and this is again, just one form of meditation for folks with clinical insomnia. So chronic sleep problems. And they had them to take on a meditation practice, a mindfulness meditation practice. And this was just even over the course of, you know, eight to 10 weeks. And them doing this daily practice in the morning showed up for them at night when they went to sleep. Here's what happened. They all had, well, on average, increased uh, sleep time overall. Uh, they improved their sleep latency. So this means they fall asleep faster. Uh, reduced wake after sleep onset. So after they fall asleep, they wake up less often and they saw a reduction in, um, in depression symptoms, mm -hmm. right? All of this from doing a meditation practice in the morning. But here's the thing, it's kind of free, right? Ambient costs, you know, but this is what we're uh, geared towards. And we're not looking at like, what is the actual under, underlying cause? Mm -hmm. And like your quote says, you know, like there can be so many problems that are solved with people just sitting alone you know, and not running from ourselves. Because I think that's another symptom is just like, there's so much internal stuff going on and it can be difficult to process, you know? Mm -hmm. And, you know, we all have our, our, tro our troubles and most of the time we just wanna go, for some of us, depending on your personality type, just go attack the troubles. Right, the band-aid. Then we got other folks who wanna hide from the troubles mm -hmm. and they'll medicate themselves mm -hmm. in various ways. And so this is actually another aspect of this self-care movement that's mm -hmm. taking place, you know, and taking care of ourselves, not just the, like we get it with the external stuff, you know, getting out, doing the squats and the push-ups, and that's all wonderful. But also, uh, you know, and I would see this over the years, you know, some patients, they didn't need to work out, they need to work in, mm. you know, and some, taking some time to, to uh, help direct them. And now I have an even greater uh, valuable resource to share with them with your book. So mm -hmm. thank you for that, man. But I want to actually shift gears really quickly because we was talking about this well, actually, first, let's talk about the time of day. Mm -hmm. Let's let's share a little nugget on that because, like, I want to improve my sleep. Should I meditate, you know, while I'm in bed? So right, and it's important uh, to understand that it, depending on what style of meditation you're practicing, there are best times of day to do them. Yes. a lot of people kind of default to meditating either in the morning or right before bed, and what meditation can do for us very, very effectively is it can supply us with a surge of energy, right? So one of the reasons why people sleep better uh, when, they when, they, when they start meditating is because they're getting their supply of energy at the appropriate times. Mm -hmm. So first thing in the morning, if you've, if you've been just a, a, you know, living your life for years and years, you haven't been meditating, there's a better than even chance that you're sleep deprived. Right, I don't know what you probably know the statistic more than me, but last I read, it was like eight out of ten people or nine out of ten people have some level of sleep deprivation. Oh, this is you know if when you actually look at the numbers, two thirds of all Americans have problems sleeping either every night or every other night. Right, so that means that you know when you wake up in the morning, you're probably not as rested as you could be. So doing a meditation right then 
gives you that surge of energy, which allows you to function optimally for that first portion of your day, right? So now obviously you don't have to meditate. You can, you can do, you take, you drink coffee, you could do Red Bull. You, could, you know. I call these sort of dirty energy, you know? Mm. Meditation is like clean energy, meaning the meditation is not gonna give you any side effects. The dirty energy substances and experiences come with a downside. You may get the jitters from the caffeine. You may get the crash from the sugar, right? So you can do it, but you have to pay a, a cost for that. Meditation, you wake up, you do your meditation in the morning, 15, 20 minutes is optimal. You don't need an hour. Yeah, 10 minutes is not enough. I would say 15 minutes average. You sit, you do your meditation. That should take you through the first portion of the day. And then normally what happens around two, four o'clock in the afternoon, we start getting that lull in our energy. That's where we start going for the second espresso or the scone or some other sweet. Mm -hmm. That's where you can do your second meditation. In that period of time, mid-afternoon to late afternoon, early evening, when, you, when you're feeling a little bit tired or a little bit distracted, you sit down, you do your second meditation, you get another jolt of energy, that'll take you through the next portion of your day, right? And what this meditation is doing is it's creating space in your awareness so that when you are dealing with your high demand, high pressure work situation, or you're having a conversation that can go off the rails, or you're dealing with your child and you don't want to say the wrong thing, that space comes in really handy as a tool that you can use to kind of energetically just kind of step back for a second, just hit the pause button on the reaction, right? Very, very practical, yeah. very valuable to have that. If you don't have that, what happens? You say the thing that you regret five minutes later, yeah. and then you have to spend the next five days, five years cleaning up from that one thing you said, that one reaction you had, culminated with all the other things that have been happening over the last 10, 20, 30 years. So, well, well let's talk about this for a second mm -hmm. because for me, and I just asked, I did a survey, I asked my wife and I asked <laughs> my son, my oldest yeah. son, who was there with me, you know, he's 17 now in the early days of Sean. Mm -hmm. And I asked him like, have you noticed that I'm a lot more patient? He's like, yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and, uh, you know, same thing. I'm a, you know, just by the nature of the environment that I was in, mm -hmm. just very impatient, very uh, agitated type person, which people wouldn't know that about me now. Um, but I would see those things and I would see small instances of those things like early on when I first met my wife. But the first year, let me throw this out there. First year we were together. I literally, I said these words with my mouth, man. I said these words to her. I was like, I don't think I can ever get mad at you. Mm. Yeah, congratulations, you played yourself. <laughs> you just I don't played know yourself. what, <laughs> I was just in that stage, you know what I'm right. saying? But, you know, at this point, she's seen it as well. Like, it's not, and that's what I want to talk to you about. It's not what you get in the meditation necessarily. It's what you carry out of the meditation. That's right. And how you operate in the world. Because now I have so, I have that space. And also when there's something going on, you know, it, it might bother me, you know, I'm, you have still, you're human, mm -hmm. but there's like a part of me that just doesn't, I'm, I'm okay. I'm mm -hmm. calm. I'm solutions oriented. I'm present. Mm -hmm. There's a space mm -hmm. that's there that gets developed and it grows as mm -hmm. you grow this practice. So let's talk a little bit about that. And it's very tangible too. It's very tangible. I just want to complete the last thought really quickly. And I want to dive into that because it's very important. But if you meditate at those two times, then when you get ready to go to bed at night, you're going to have the best sleep of your life because 
your body combined with the, the, the activity combined with the meditation is what then leads to deep sleep. If you wait until 11 o'clock at night to get the meditation energy, you don't need it then. So then you may end up having poor sleep, thinking, oh, meditation doesn't work, right? Mm -hmm. But yeah. it does work. You just have to do it at the proper times. So now when we talk about how do I determine whether or not the meditation is working, the worst way the worst way to tell if meditation is working is based on what you're thinking about in meditation <laughs> during the practice, right? Because a lot of times you hear people, I just thought about my to-do list. I just thought about, you know, this conversation I had earlier today. I just what's thought about dinner? what's for dinner or, you know, something else that's not very positive. Meditation isn't working, right? But what, if you keep the camera rolling, what's going to happen is you're going to come out of meditation and you're going to be in a situation, a real life situation where it could get really intense really quickly. And you're going to find that there is going to be a little bit of space there. Now, you may not be aware of it in the moment, but once you accumulate enough experiences like that, somebody may come to you and say, oh my God, you're so patient. You're so understanding. You're so compassionate, right? And that's, that's what true presence feels like. True presence is not you sitting there aware of the fact that you're present. That's not presence. Yeah. If you have to know that you're present while you're present, you're not present, right? Yeah. When you're out in nature, when you're on a romantic trip and you're, you're in the process of, of, of falling in love, when you're playing sports, when you're in that flow state, you're not aware that you're in the zone while you're in the zone. It's not until afterwards somebody comes up to you and goes, you know, that was, you were amazing. You the thing you just did. And how did you do it? What were you thinking about? I don't, I wasn't, I wasn't thinking about it. Mm -hmm. That's how, you know, you're in the zone is after the fact. So everything that happens in those other 23 hours is how you're going to gauge progress with meditation. If you sit there and think about conversation after conversation, followed by song lyric, followed by movie scene, and then you're sleeping like a baby at night, it worked. Right. So again, we just need to, this is another myth. We need to gauge progress, not by what happens in the practice, but by what happens outside of the practice. And there's a story I tell in the book, and I think I mentioned it in my TED talk about this woman, this lawyer who learned how to meditate with me. And um, she lives in New York, very type A person. And she was just like clockwork with her meditation. And for a year, she meditated every day, morning, afternoon, morning, afternoon. And then she came back to me and she sat in on a group of, of that where I was teaching new people how to meditate. And, and I was talking about how, you know, progress in meditation happens outside of meditation. And she interrupted me and she says, I haven't noticed anything. And I've been doing it every day. And, and she, she, you know, she said what she had to say. And then I, I replied to her. I said, look, you probably won't notice it yourself because you are in your body and you know what you're thinking about, even though maybe you're not even voicing what you were thinking about, whereas before you were. But I said, just keep going. It's not possible for you to meditate as consistently as you've been meditating and not have some very positive, tangible benefits occur. So she left and she, I could tell she was a bit disappointed. Mm -hmm. And then she sends me this email three months later. She says, Light, you're going you're gonna to love this story. I was out to dinner with my husband I've been married to him for years. And, uh, and we got into one of our normal fights at dinner. 
where I was right and he was wrong. Said, <laughs> right. know, the usual. Typical. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and she said that um, after a little while, when, when my husband was sure that the argument was dead and buried, he started to look at me like I was some kind of apparition or ghost. And finally I said, honey, what, why do you keep staring at me like that? And he said, you know, shaking his head, he said, six months ago, if we had that argument. You would have stormed out of the restaurant and left me in here. Cause that was their pattern, mm-hmm. right? She would just leave every time they got into an argument. Mm-hmm. And he said, and now you're just able to stay. He said, I think that meditation is working. Don't stop. There it is. There <laughs> and then it is. she said, you know what? I think you're yeah. right. Like, you know, this, this happened. And, and it's not something, she didn't come to meditation. Right, for that. For that, yeah. right? And, but that's how it works. It's so, it's so all encompassing when it comes to these benefits that a lot of times people end up getting things from it that they didn't even really anticipate. There's another quick story I'll share about this guy. He was in his sixties, came to meditate because he was having severe gastrointestinal problems. He went to go see an Ayurvedic practitioner who was going to prescribe him with different herbs and, and you know, natural remedies. And, and the Ayurvedic doctor, which is the Ayurveda, the Indian healthcare, uh, using natural approaches. He said, look, I can give you all these herbs. I can give you all this stuff, but it's not going to do anything if you're not managing your stress because the stress is going to compromise your digestive system, right? So you have to take care of the stress first, then all these other things are going to work well. And so he came to learn how to meditate and, um, and he, he shows up at the room and, uh, and the first thing I have everyone do is take their shoes off. He said, I can't take my shoes off. He told my assistant, I can't take my shoes off, you know, and this is just a tradition from India. You know, you come, there's a picture of my teacher's teacher. And so we made an exception. We said, okay, well, you can keep your shoes on, walk to your chair and then take your shoes off, which he did. So I ended up working with him. And didn't think anything of it. He, every time he came, we, he'd walk to his chair, take his shoes off. And so the reason he didn't take his shoes off is because he had these corrective shoes. He mm-hmm. said that about 10 years prior to me meeting him, he, his feet, he woke up one day and he had this kind of metatarsal pain and he couldn't walk without his corrective shoes. And um, three years after he started meditating, he sends me an email and he says, Light, I was vacuuming in my floor today and I looked down and I wasn't wearing my shoes. Mm. And, you know, this is not even something I was expecting. Yeah. I, I've, been, I've spent a fortune on corrective shoes for years and years. And I never thought in a million, a million years that I would be walking without them. And I always suspected it was psychosomatic because no trauma happened when his feet got painful. It just, he just woke up one day and it just kind of, I mean, you know, that's how we, a lot yeah. of us experience life as we get older, we wake up and we get these little aches and pains that appear to come out of the blue. And like I said, when the body starts habituating towards responding stressfully mm-hmm. and it stays locked into that mode, you end up getting these inexplicable health issues. The doctors have no explanation for them, yeah. except you know, take this medication, take put this Band-Aid on it, yeah. and that's how you're gonna manage it. And so meditation is a really, has a really powerful way of unlocking that, but I can't tell what's gonna happen when I see somebody. Yeah, yeah, I just know that when you have less stress in the body, there's a domino effect, there's a ripple, and yeah. things tend to get better. That is a perfect segue to, you know, something else that I wanted to bring up today, which is the stress component. Mm-hmm. You know, this is usually when we think about stress management, meditation is kind of the thing that comes to the forefront. But again, there's a lot of just kind of myths and misinformation about it. 
And, um, but stress, I don't think people realize we've done shows on this. So mm -hmm. I'll put one of the main ones in the show notes on, you know, how stress really can manifest in some serious issues. But a lot of people don't realize over 90% of hospital visits, physician visits today are for stress related illnesses. Mm -hmm. And this is like, we're talking like the CDC is saying this. It That's isn't right. like Charlie, you Charlie know, the, down the, the street, the, like the naturopath. From, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, but here's the thing. This can manifest in different ways depending on the person. This could be autoimmune. This could That's be, right. you know, heart disease. This could be uh, arthritis. This could be, you know, like my man. Because when first I was like, why don't we take his shoes? I must have hammer time right. in his shoe. Like, man, he's got something nasty. He's got that toe fungus. Go yeah. get checked out. But actually, these were his corrective shoes, yeah. you know. Um, but it can manifest in that different way. And it's so, I, I think it's important for us to understand just how powerful our minds are mm -hmm. to affect change in a positive way and a negative way. Mm -hmm. And oftentimes it's just feedback. Your body is giving you feedback to change, Yeah, you know? And so another part of this, so what we're doing is talking about the the inner execution, you know, working in, but also working out is important. And my man is fit. He does this thing. We talked about this before the show, doing the strength training and having that coupled with, you know, he's doing uh, the yoga for many years as well, but we need to get those stimuli from different areas. And so for me, I'm a huge fan of functional, training, right? So these things that really translate and make you better in all areas. So working with kettlebells, working with the battle ropes, working with the steel maces and steel clubs, and the the, the company that really pushed this into culture is on it, mm -hmm. right? And so now like you see celebrities like Dwayne The Rock Johnson using their kettlebells, like this big gorilla kettlebell, but they also do stuff. What I love about them is they make it, there's this little extra added dimension of coolness to it because Again, falling in love with the process. What if it's just something cool that you like? Like, I want to go grab this kettlebell because it's a Darth Vader kettlebell. They have Darth Vader kettlebells. I just saw and, that the other day. I didn't realize that was on it that was producing those things. See, those man, are amazing. You see that synchronicity It definitely right there? got my attention. I was like, whoa, that's amazing. It's, it was a, it was a King dope, Kong. Uh, yeah, they got that one too. Yeah. So any Star Wars fans in here? I'm asking the team. I, I knew my man right there. <laughs> <laughs> but here's the thing. So they got Death Star uh, slam ball, like medicine ball. You know, you got those medicine mm -hmm. balls. It's one is the Death Star, so dope. Yoga mat, it's Harrison Ford, like when he gets- uh, uh, Frozen? Yes, oh, it's so <laughs> cool. So guys, pop over, check out their training equipment. You guys already know, I'm a huge fan of On It. You know, the, their supplements and, you know, they're doing a lot of things right. These, This is one of the few companies that actually does clinical trials, mm. which is hella expensive to really test the efficacy, mm -hmm. you know, double blind placebo control, all that stuff the right way. Not saying, oh, I, I believe my thing is right. Let me test to make sure, mm -hmm. you know what I'm saying? That I get the results I want. And so they've got that aspect with the Shroom Tech Sport, the Alpha Brain product. But guys, check out their training equipment. I've got all kinds of good stuff in my house. Um, so they've got the uh, Star Wars partnership. They partner with Marvel. And these companies don't just partner with anybody. You know, so they've got uh, the Iron Man kettlebell. They've got Captain America plates for your barbell. Onit.com forward slash model. That's O-N-N-I-T.com forward slash model. You get 10% off all of that. All right. Exclusive alert. All right. Head over there. <laughs> check them out. Onit.com forward slash model. So we've covered and we've traversed, you know, yeah. even with these various myths. It's, there's a lot. Got three. A lot. Yeah. But I want to go through. I want to get these last two as okay. well. So let's dive in. Yeah. So um, you don't, I don't have enough time to meditate. Oh yeah, yeah, that's a big one. <laughs> Same thing with exercise. Same thing with exercise, but even more so than that, you know, there've been studies 
that have shown that meditation can reverse biological aging, right? So obviously we have our chronological age, right, true, which is true. the age of our physical body, or I'm sorry, the age of our, the, how many years we've been on the planet. But then we also have a biological age, which is how old the physical body or how fast the physical body is aging in comparison to our chronological age. And what's been shown is that if someone starts meditating, let's say they're age 30, right? And let's say they meditate consistently, consistently is very important. They meditate consistently for five years. So by the time they're chronologically 35 years old, biologically, if they were 30 biologically at the start of the meditation, at the 35 chronologically, they would be in the biological age on average of a 23 year old. Mm. On, which means yeah. that the body is going to reverse seven years, in some cases up to 12 years, younger than they were when they started the meditation. Now, what does that mean in practical sense? In a practical sense, it means you have the skin elasticity of your the 23-year-old version of yourself. So you have all, a lot of women out there spending a lot of money on anti-aging cream at these you know high-end department stores. And guess what? The body produces its own anti-aging cream. It's yeah. called elastin. Yeah. It's a hormone. And when you're living in a body that's very stressed, what the stress does, the stress chemicals do is they, they form this casing around all of the cells and the receptors of those cells that are normally uh, intended to receive those hormones like elastin or um, like the synovial fluid that keeps your joints oiled and you know moving flu fluidly and the minerals and nutrients from all the wonderful organic farm to table food that we may consume. And instead it, it causes us to, it causes all that stuff to bounce off and, and not be metabolized properly. And we don't get the benefit from it. So the skin gets saggy, the joints get painful, and we may as well be eating McDonald's. You know, when it comes to eating, trying to eat high quality foods, we're not getting the, nu the nutritional value from it. And that's why, as you said, your state of mind is as important towards your health as what, what you're eating and all the other wonderful things that you know, we wanna do and we spend our money on. So that's what's important about this practice. It's not, it's, not gonna, it's not a silver bullet, but it will lay a foundation. So all the other things that we do, will, it'll, it'll get metabolized better and you'll end up in a younger version of yourself as a result So you're of getting it. time back. You're getting you're time saying, back. You're saying, I don't have time. You, this right. gives you more time. You're getting refunded back. Just like on your taxes, you get refunded back some money maybe every year. Every year you meditate, you'll get refunded back a year of your biological age. And then right. after five years, it, co it, it, it levels off at about six months for every calendar year. You, you only age about six months instead of what everybody else is doing, which yeah. is aging about one to 1 1.2 years biologically for every calendar year. So there's a, there's a lot of, of, uh, of benefit biologically when it comes to you making the time for your daily med meditation practice. Yeah, and this is in the very prestigious International Journal, Journal of, of Neuroscience. Neuroscience. And you know man, that it's <laughs> really fascinating, man. Of course, man. <laughs> because you know this is a thing about. I'm a very analytical human human by nature. Right. You know, I want to know why. I want to know how stuff works, and I want to know, you know, like the um, the real practicality of it. Right. You know, that really helps a lot with me doing the thing. And then what's so fascinating, and why you know, even with the show, we imbue it into the show. You start to open doors that you didn't even know existed right. and just now we're 
just now starting to try to figure out and explain some of these things, but I feel very joyous knowing that I've experienced it. But I also want other people to be able to walk through those doors and experience these things we can't even describe yet. And so again, this is one of the reasons I want to have you on. So we get refunded back the time. Um, so one more, let's hit one more. <laughs> well, you know, the last one, it could be a little bit controversial, especially with the nature of, of, of what we're talking about now, which is the meditation studies. You know, like there are studies that are, that are promoted these days that I think can also raise the level of what, of the expectation a little bit beyond what the average person experiences. You know, there's some studies that say meditation can help you. Um, reduce addictive behavior such as smoking cigarettes and things like that, or reduce your chocolate consumption. But again, from the from the field, from what I've seen, mm -hmm. there are people who have, you know, are chocolate addicts. There are people who started smoking after they started meditating. <laughs> I know people who yeah, yeah, yeah. have anger problems as meditators. And here's the one thing that no study can ever show is that whatever is being prevented as a result of meditation. We can't measure that. We can't measure prevention, yeah. right? So just That's because you may feel like you're backsliding in this way or that way that you read about in the study, it doesn't mean the meditation isn't working because you will never know what could have been happening mm. had you not been meditating in the first place. And in the book, I tell the story about uh, this kind of relationship fight that I had once, a verbal fight, um, where I was a meditation teacher at the time and you know got into this whole altercation with my with my girlfriend who didn't want me to leave the house it was two in the morning she wanted to talk about some stuff i didn't really want to talk about and um so i decided i was going to go back to my place because we didn't live together and um ended up culminating in this thing where she was chasing me <laughs> I, <laughs> I was trying to run away and she was trying to get me to come back and so she was chasing me and this is like three in the morning in Beverly Hills. And you have <laughs> one of the top meditation teachers <laughs> running full speed with his you know, girlfriend right on his heels. And uh, the intention was good. The intention was she just wanted to have a conversation, but I didn't want to have the conversation. So I got in my car, drove off. As I was driving off, my heart is racing. I'm thinking to myself, this is it. This relationship is over. You know, we tried it. It didn't work, blah, blah, blah. Cut to six months later, we're still in the relationship, <laughs> you know, having these fights. Yeah. And so if I didn't know what I knew and if I hadn't seen what I seen working with other people who meditate, I would assume that, well, this obviously means meditation isn't working, mm. right? You can't meditate and be getting into situations like this, yeah. much less teach meditation. But you have to also consider if I wasn't meditating, maybe I would have tried to get married and maybe thought that was going to solve the situation, or maybe the verbal altercation. Yeah, maybe the verbal altercation would have culminated into physical abuse. Yeah, you know, or something much, much worse. Or maybe we would have stayed together for ten years instead of just another six months. Mm -hmm. So deep, we're man. not together now. She's a wonderful person, you know, it ran its course, but yeah. um, not having the the access to that spaciousness makes people uh, become codependent in ways that you wouldn't want to be. If or you, if your friend was telling you about their situation, you would see clearly. Oh, you know that's a red flag. This is a red flag, etc. Right. But it's hard to see these things for ourselves if we don't have that level of space. So you know, meditation studies are nice, but we also want to default onto our own direct experience with again measuring progress and and not beat ourselves up too much over the fact that we're not perfect because you're not going right. to. 
spoil the suspense for you, right? You're not going to be perfect, not even as a meditator, but what you will start to notice is that the lag time in between something happening and you correcting it is going to become shorter and shorter and shorter. And then eventually you get to this point where you start, you're, you're able to access what they call in, in India, spontaneous right action, which is a fascinating concept, which means that you're able to cognize a solution, cognize meaning you're able to download, mentally download a solution, something that you have not studied before, something that maybe you haven't read about before, but it's an answer that just comes through you. And we've all had this experience where you, you, you say something or you do something that just feels like the right thing to say or do. And you're like, I didn't know I knew that. I didn't know I knew that. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. And that's what that's what spontaneous right action feels like. Now, when it happens with people who who don't have a regular kind of inner work practice, it usually we qualify that as, oh, that was a coincidence or that was synchronicity or yeah. I thought about this thing and then this person called me and said the thing that I was thinking about and how wonderful it becomes this whole storyline. But what if that was something that can happen all the time? Yeah. And that's been my experience. And that, you know, we talk about things like enlightenment. That those are the those are the accoutrements of what people refer to as enlightenment. It's not some, you know, mystical esoteric thing. It's just right. like you accessing your full potential, you being in a you living in a way that allows you to channel these, the universal Google mm. can come through you as these answers that maybe you don't have language for, but it's a feeling tone associated with it. So when you see something that connects you with a solution, you recognize it, right? We call yeah. it intuition. Yeah. That intuition, that intuitive voice gets stronger and stronger and stronger. And uh, and so that becomes, that, that makes every day like an adventure. When you're able to tap into that spontaneous right action, Every situation, every day, every moment can be a complete amazing adventure because you never quite know what's going to come through. And usually what comes through is something that's taking you into more of a direction of the unknown. You don't know how it's going to turn out. And that's really where you want to be. Like Beck, you mentioned a Beckwith quote earlier. I love one of my favorite Beckwith quotes is, if you're not living life on the edge, you're taking up too much space. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> That's where you want to be, man, right on that edge. Cause that's, that's where the excitement is happening. Yeah. You know? So, I love it, man. so that's what meditation does. It takes you right to that space. Yeah. You know, the universal Google. I like that, man. Yeah. I like that. So, um, I, I, I just want to thank you for sharing that because that really is going to be freeing for a lot of people, whether they know it right now or not. in the fact that this is not about you being perfect, you've got this meditation practice and now like you're not supposed to get upset or whatever kind of thing that you would carry around. Um, the reality is it changes your life and live in in ways that you don't even realize sometimes. Right. You, you know? can't even know what it, how it's yeah. gonna change you. And you know, you putting your seeing yourself in that situation, first of all, with the late I'm like picturing a straight cartoon, <laughs> she's chasing you. I'm like, what is he what kind of love is he giving her? <laughs> right. Gotta run it. You know? And so, um, but it's so great to have people like yourself who are sharing their story. Like, you know, I've got even this, especially the ideas we care of ourselves, you know, like, you know, I am this person people coming to for peace, but we still are gonna experience times of unrest. We're still gonna experience times of stress. We're still gonna experience times of anger and that's okay. But the difference is they no longer own you, you know? That's right. There's a, there's a distinction that takes place, you know? And I think that this is part of the, the gift that this brings. And so, Final question for you, man. 
what is the model that you're here to set for other people with the way that you live your life personally? That's a good question. Um, you know, I've, I've come to terms with the idea that, well, let me tell you a story. There was this bad Chris Rock movie that was out years ago and uh, where he was, his character was uh, f flirting with the idea of cheating on his wife. And, you know, there was this other woman, I think played by Carrie Washington, who was yeah, supposed yeah, to be the seductress. Mm -hmm. And uh, did you see that movie? Yeah, I did. And so he ends up spending a lot of time whining and dining this other woman, not quite sure what he's gonna, if he's gonna ultimately cross the line or not. Anyway, he ends up missing this very important business meeting and he, his company ends up losing the deal because he wasn't there. And his, the partners of the, the firm, you know, they, they knew what he was doing and they pull him into the conference room one day and they say, look, you know, um, we, we know you've been out chasing this woman and I just want you to know that when you, when you chase women, you're always going to lose money. But if you chase money, you're never going to lose women. Mm. Now, I don't necessarily identify with that <laughs> statement, but I like the template. And what I did was I heard that and I said, you know what? This is kind of like what, what it means to chase consciousness, right? Mm. When you make expanding your inner consciousness, that inner space, your priority, you're never going to lose the things that you think you want to have in life, which could be abundance, which could be love, which could be um, influence or you know inspiration. And if you try to chase abundance, then you're always going to end up losing something else. If you try to chase relationships, you're always going to end up losing something else. So it helped me understand my priorities. And um, and you know my teacher's teacher this uh, Indian guy, Maharishi Maheshyoki, who I think taught your mom or your, your mother-in-law uh, meditation as well. Somebody once asked, asked him, you know, what's, what's the greatest asset human, a human being can possess? And he said, the ability to discriminate, right? Now, obviously there's a bad interpretation of discrimination, but what he meant was the ability to prioritize, to know what's most important, what's second most important, what's third most important and so on at any time. And here's the thing, it, it, you can't just know that for one moment in time, right? The landscape changes. So what's most important in this moment may be second most important five minutes from now. So you have to have a level of presence to be able to determine the priorities as they change from moment to moment, right? And so where's, where's, Where's the, where's the consciousness in this moment? It may not be in the same place as it is in the next moment. So that's what I've been able to, to experience from my inner work. And that's why I make my inner work a priority is because it allows me to attract all the other things that I enjoy in my life. You know, I'm not a monk. I like relationships. I like abundance. I like going on trips. I don't like having to worry about money. Um, and so when I take care of the most important thing first, it sets the foundation for all the other things. So then I don't have to lead with a sense of desperation when I'm going into a business deal, thinking yeah. that if this thing doesn't work out, then that's going to mean the end of the world. I already know that I have everything I need right now. I'm as happy as I can be right now. So whatever happens here is what's supposed to happen. I'm going to, I'm going to work hard and I'm going to, 
you know, do everything I can to make sure that my interests are properly represented. But if it doesn't happen, at the, even in spite of all that, then that means it wasn't supposed to happen. And that means that there's another opportunity in the next moment. And so I'm going to keep my eyes uh, focused on those other opportunities and not on what's not happening. So that's that, that's again, that's the, the symptom of the spaciousness that gets created. And I want to, you know, I want to be the inspiration for that. I want to just, when, when people meet me, I want to hopefully embody some of that so that they can say, cause this is what happened to me. When I met my teacher, he was, I would consider the happiest person that I've ever met. And he wasn't sitting there with a smile plastered on his face. He just was content. It was like, he didn't care whether or not I worked with him or, mm -hmm. you know, he just made himself available. He was radiating a sense of inner peace that I'd never witnessed before. And I knew at the moment, I want that. I want other people to feel like that around me. I want to help other people feel like that so that when they're out in their corner of the world, other people are attracted to them and they can recognize that there's a quality of presence there that I've never really seen before. What did he do to get like that? He meditated. Okay, well then I need to start meditating. And that's that's how meditation is spread. Yeah, man, love it, love it. Can you let everybody know where they can find your book and also where they can connect with you online? Everybody, uh, everything that I, everything that I uh, do, I kind of archive under my lightwatkins.com website. So you can find my um, my book there, Bliss More. Uh, you can find my talks, my events that I do, the Shine events that we didn't really talk about, but it's uh, there's something that's happening around the world now, which is amazing, uh, inspirational, live inspirational variety show events. And I also write this daily dose of inspiration every morning where I just basically send out a little snippet of some anecdote or parable or a story or something that, that happened to me that I found inspiring just to help people start their day with a little bit of a little nugget of inspiration. And I uh, send those out every morning. You can sign up for that at lightwatkins.com as well. You can follow me on social media at lightwatkins. Perfect, man. Thank you so much for sharing your gift. Amen. Thank you for putting this together and uh, packaging up everything. Uh, it's truly, this is an enlightening experience talking to you, man. Thank you. Thanks for having me. I'm so, I'm, I'm not surprised everything worked out, but I am amazed. <laughs> I'm amazed that we, we, we brought it all together and it's just, it feels like it was all meant to be. Yeah, absolutely. So thank man. you. Yeah, it's my pleasure. And uh, dude, just keep, keep doing your thing. I know. And so one more reveal, reveal alert. We got to do real quick. When he's talking about getting time back, you know, I was really surprised when I found out your uh, chronological age, man. So yeah. you got to share that. 44. I'm 44. 44. I'll be 45 this year. This man will be 45 years old. I was like, he's for sure, for sure younger than me. I'm like, this young guy, this young kid, you know, he's out here doing his thing and helping. 20 years of meditation, man, you know. It's, it's amazing, man. Yeah. And uh, thank you for being the example and, you. Um, you know, giving people permission today to uh, to, to enjoy it. Exactly. Right? Perfect, yeah, So important. Light Watkins, everybody. Thank you. Thank you so much for tuning into the show today. I hope you got a lot of value out of this. Listen, everything that we do here on the Model Health Show has an underlying purpose. And I wanna provide you with the very best tools possible to be the best version of you. And this is one of the tools that has been around literally for thousands of years that at no other time in human history do we really need it more. And getting to access this is as simple as you know saying yes. 
and as simple as making it a priority to practice. And again, there's many paths to the goal. There's many different types of meditation, but I really feel that light has put something together that is very accessible for all of us. You know, I think it's a really great on-ramp. And also, even if you're an experienced meditator and you've been, you know, um, you know, kind of all over the map with it, I think that you'll get a lot of value out of it. And there are some specific tr uh, threads of truth that ring true that we've covered here today. And that's just a little slice of what he has to offer. So make sure to check out the book, pop over and check him out, lightwalkins.com. And listen, guys, it's, it's our opportunity right now. You know, you've got the opportunity to really open up new doors. You know, this is a, a, a new slate, a new clean slate this year. And you've got so much in front of you, but for in order for you to execute on what's possible for you, you have to take care of yourself. And this is a big part of that self-care is having a practice of meditation, a way for you to really tune in and hone in on your inner world and your inner gifts, all right? Every single day, this is part of like getting that inner game together for me. I meditated today, you know, every episode of the Model Health Show that we've done thus far, I meditated that day. You know, and I just truly feel it's a really powerful tool. We've talked about the science, we've talked about the application, we've talked about how it bleeds over into the rest of your life. So I hope that you got a real big insight on how valuable it is. Now it's up to you whether or not you choose to take it on, you know, and that's the great gift. We've got all these various tools at our access and uh, we get to pick, you know. And so I appreciate you immensely. And we've got some amazing, absolutely mind-blowing guests and show topics coming up for you. So make sure to stay tuned. Share this out with your friends on social media, Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, all that good stuff. And of course, make sure to tag me. I appreciate you beyond words. All right, take care. Have an amazing day. And I'll talk with you soon. And for more after the show, make sure to head over to themodelhealthshow.com. That's where you can find all of the show notes. You can find transcriptions, videos for each episode. And if you got a comment, you can leave me a comment there as well. And please make sure to head over to iTunes and leave us a rating to let everybody know that the show is awesome. And I appreciate that so much. And take care. I promise to keep giving you more powerful, empowering, great content to help you transform your life. Thanks for tuning in.